I'm Paul Comfort. Welcome to a special edition of Transit Unplugged. On this edition, we continue our seven-part series visiting and interviewing transit CEOs from Australia, the land down under. And on today's edition, we spend some time with Nicholas Gint, who is the CEO of Yara Trams, run by Keolis Downer, in Melbourne, Australia. This is the world's largest light rail or tram network run right there in Melbourne. I spent quite a bit of time riding it. There's a free downtown area that's heavily used. And then outside of the uh, inner core of the city, it's still a very heavily used transit system packed with people and is considered an integral part of the transit system there. And it runs under the public transport Victoria overall system. You'll find out all kinds of interesting insights into what it takes to run a massive light rail system from Nicholas Kent, the CEO of Yara Trams in Melbourne, Australia, on this edition of Transit Unplugged. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and today I'm excited to be with Nicholas Gent, who is CEO of Keolis Downer, who operates Yara Trams here in Melbourne, Australia. We're in the land down under, and we're sitting in his office today, and it's an exciting time to be here with you, Nicholas, the operator of the largest light rail tram system in the world. Hello, Paul. That's very true. It is the largest tram network in the world. We we like to say it's 250 kilometers of tracks, times two, of course, built in 1906, long, long time ago, you know, more than 110 years ago, and uh, actually never been taken away. So unlike a lot of, uh, you know, networks across Europe or or USA or even Sydney, Sydney used to have a bigger tram network uh, at the time. And they actually removed all the tracks and overheads uh, from the city, which uh, which is a a pity because uh, now they are trying to put them back. Uh, (laughs) Right. uh, Not that easy, by the way. Definitely in Melbourne, we had visionary people who understood that tram was a solution for the future. And so we have uh, this fantastic tram network in this city. We, uh, as I was just mentioning to you, we rode it uh, all over yesterday and it's phenomenal how the central business district is free of charge to people and I guess the government subsidizes that, is that right? Exactly, that's a decision, a very important decision that was made back in 2015 by the the government to uh, actually enable people to move freely in the CBD. And that was also definitely looking at our many international visitors, making them comfortable in the city, not being obliged to, uh, to buy a ticket, a Mikey card to, uh, to move in the city. That's definitely uh, a success in terms of the, 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 the overall you know, benefit for, for, for users. That's a challenge from an operational point of view because actually that added, you know, in 2015, the first year of repression, we had a plus 25% uh, passenger patronage wow. on, uh, in the CBD, so quite a big increase. And of course, that put a kind of pressure on, yes. uh, on us to, uh, to make sure that we could still meet our operational KPIs, you know, punctuality, reliability, right. despite this phenomenal increase in, uh, in patronage. 
And how many passengers a day do ride the service? So overall, we move 207 million trips a year. A year? Okay. So that's half a million a day, let's say. Okay. 207, just to compare, that's always interesting when we look at uh, Metro, MTM, that yes. runs uh, metropolitan trains that do a great work in a, on a heavy rail uh, network. They move 240 million trips. So that means that trams, not only they are iconic here, everybody loves trams in Melbourne, that's fantastic. But it's not only, you know, the, the affect and the iconic thing, it is also a heavy lifter. I strongly believe that the city couldn't uh, do it without its trams. Oh, absolutely. We move a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. Before we get too deep into your operational statistics, which I want to get into, I want to find out a little bit more about you and let our listeners hear about you, Nicholas. So tell us a little about yourself and how you ended up here in the land down under. That's very interesting. That's very interesting. Actually, I turned 52 weeks ago, so that's ah, still right. very fresh to me. And, and that's my first expatriation uh, experience, my first job uh, overseas. I'm French. You, you, you can't miss my accent, of course. And I've always worked for uh, SNCF Group, and I'm talking about the group. The, 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 the SNCF is a, is a mainly heavy rail operations in France. Uh, okay. You know the TGV, you know yes. this, uh, this kind of activities, but it's not only, by the way, TGVs. It's also regional trains. It's also commuter trains in, uh, in Paris or freight uh, activities. So I actually did my career uh, starting in 1922 with SNCF. Not 1922. 1922, what did I say? <laughs> You're not that old. You said you just turned 50. <laughs> so 1992 with SNCF, yeah. that's the right number, yes, there you go. the right date, and actually started working on operations in heavy rail. So okay. that, that, that was probably... 15 years of my uh, in France, of my career yes. in France actually. around Paris or where was it? so it was mainly in a, in the countryside in the, okay. what we call région in France uh, anywhere near Dijon so not Dijon okay I've been I there. started Normandy oh Normandy yeah then okay. Brittany okay then I went to Paris then I moved to uh, Champagne Champagne not a bad place to region. be yeah. Then back to Paris, okay. and then stayed in Paris for a few years before moving to Australia. Okay. So in this period in Normandy or Brittany or right. Champagne, my job was to actually run operations in those different regions, both trains, passenger trains, right. or freight trains. Oh, so that was freight main, too. Exactly. Ah. Exactly. And in 2009, I went to Paris to uh, to run. Um, an SNCF subsidiary called VFLI. You can have a look at the internet. Okay. It's actually a, an operator, a freight uh, trains operator that is the third operator in France now. Very interesting. It is a, a subsidiary of SNCF, 100% owned by SNCF, but very interesting because people working for VFLI had a different TBA from SNCF people, you know, it's a, yes. it's a, a more private-like EBA right. at a time when the market was opened to the competition. So you probably know that in France for years and years and years, SNCF had a monopoly yes. and was the only one to uh, be able to uh, operate trains, whatever they were, passengers, freight, on the network. One operator, one network, one operator only. And then legislation changed, and early in early 2000s, legislation 
was changed to, um, to enable uh, competition to come in freight business or heavy rail uh, freight. And few, small at the beginning, but uh, bigger and bigger year after year, small companies actually went into this new market to uh, compete with SNCF. And then SNCF decided to create an internal competitor because these differences in the in the wow, EBAs, you know, the small reactive yes. thing right. versus the the bigger, but of course with some complexities because of the size. So that was very interesting for me to run this small uh, yes. company uh, because it was a booming market uh, recently opened to uh, to the competition and. Uh, and that was very, very exciting. So I run, uh, I run this uh, operations and this uh, business as a CEO between 2009 and 2014. Had a, an 18-month period that was very interesting with uh, Geodis, which is uh, logistics in, um, in France, and not okay. only in France, by the way. They are a subsidiary of, um, of SNCF as well. And then early 2015, I actually... Uh, you know, and that came by chance. Right. Uh, I had a discussion with a few people and a few people telling me, oh, there's a fantastic job that is getting uh, to be filled it's in Melbourne and etc., etc." And that was fantastic to me because back in 2009, when I applied to uh, take the VFLI uh, CEO role, there was another guy who uh, did the same as me, who applied for this role, and this guy's name was Clément Michel. Ah, my buddy, Clément. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. back in 2009, Clément and I applied for both the VFLI role and the CEO of Yawa Tram's role. Wow. So finally, he got, he got the Melbourne one, yes. I got the Paris one. We had both fantastic experience. And then six years after, or seven yes. years after, I actually had this uh, new opportunity. And he to, came to North America, where I'm at. Exactly. And he's CEO of Keolis over there. North America. Great guy. Love his oh, glasses. Fantastic guy. Of course, I confirm. Great personality, yeah. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. So you've been CEO here now for how many years? So three years. Took over in January 2016. And um, yes, that's a Married with experience. your family? Did you bring them all here? So actually, I'm married. I have four kids. They are basically almost grown up, yes, uh, right. so studying in France, so all of them, only one came with, uh, with us in uh, 2016. Okay. He spent three years uh, here in, um, in, uh, in Melbourne. That was a fantastic experience, and now she's uh, moving back to, uh, to Europe to, uh, to study for university there in, oh, in Europe. Oh, okay. Very yeah. good. So how do you like it here? Have you enjoyed your time? That's great. Good. That's a fantastic experience, yeah. not, not only because of the job, but because of the city. Yes, clear. this is a great city. That's a fantastic city. Yeah. Do you know that? And of course you know that, but The Economist awarded this uh, title of most livable city in the world to, uh, to Melbourne six years on a row. Wow. So that's fantastic. And that, that was always, you know, the, the, the contenders were always Melbourne, Vienna, and uh, Vancouver. Okay. Those three cities, you know, not too big, but fantastic cities competed to get yeah. this uh, this award. Melbourne made it six years on a, on a row. We lost the last one, but I'm pretty sure we'll get it. Who won it. the last one? So the last one goes went to uh, Vienna. Vienna, okay. Yeah. I don't know much about Vienna, but I know that here and in Vancouver, they have great transit systems, great rail systems. I've ridden the one in Vancouver as well. Yeah, of course. That's and I'm of sure course. that part of the reason why this city won so many years is because you have such a great integrated system. You've got the MTM, Running the you know the heavy rail, you've got you running the light rail, and then yeah. you've got the other line, the commuter rail coming in, plus the bus service. Of course, it's heavily used. That's heavily used. Yes. You know, every year we move all together with our colleagues of yes. heavy rail and uh, and bus. 
We move roughly 800 million trips every year. Oh, that is a big that's system. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's and that's amazing because we are in a country where car culture is still very strong, you yes, know? So yes. that means that's very interesting because Melbourne is a, you know, forward thinking in that right. regard, uh, acknowledging that, yes, of course, we need a strong public transport system in Melbourne. And the day that I'm here interviewing you, your prime minister is here in Melbourne talking about more investment in public transit. Yeah. It's, it's a very strong culture of investing, seeing public transit as an investment and not just an expense. Of course. And yes. there's a lot happening at the moment. There's a lot happening in terms of, uh, you know, $6 billion went to remove level crossings in the city, massive project to, uh, to build two tunnels under the CBD right. to actually increase rail uh, capacity. I'm pretty sure that you discussed that with uh, Raymond, my counterpart in MTM. So that's fantastic because that's a lot of, uh, of, uh, of investment. For us, definitely, there is an impact, an immediate impact in terms of works happening everywhere on, in the city, which means that we have to be to, to deal with that and to explain to the community that possibly, you know, trams will be slightly impacted by right. uh, some works here and there. So we have a lot to do to, uh, to make sure that these disruptions are understood by the community. Let's talk a little bit about the structure of how transit is operated here through contracts with private companies. So, as you know, my 30 years has been in North America. Yeah. And in North America, private companies like Keolis and other competitors normally operate the paratransit, the yeah. vans for people with disabilities. Bigger companies like Bombardier or Amtrak might operate the heavy rail, the commuter rail. But the light rail systems and the subway systems are normally operated directly by the government agency. But here and in other countries like France and across Europe, they have found cost efficiencies by outsourcing. Is that right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And here, it's, it's definitely right. What has been decided in, in Melbourne is actually to, uh, to split the overall system between different operators. Yes. You have two operators for trains. One is private, it's uh, MTM, MTR Group. Okay. One is public, it's V-Line for regional trains. Tram, you have one operator and bus. Uh, you, uh, of course, have probably uh, 10-ish operators here in Melbourne. And ticketing is another operator, ah, it's NTT. So that okay. means that there is a separation, I think, for two reasons. One is to get the best value for money. Because by, you know, awarding separate contracts this way, you probably optimize the return you can get from, uh, from those operators, awarding to the best in class, you know, and possibly, you know, the best in class for this business wouldn't be the best in class for the other business. So that's interesting in the, in the approach. The other thing is, and the other reason to do it this way, is to make sure that you bring international knowledge into the city. Right. You right. know, having an operator from Hong Kong, which is which delivers incredible things in uh, Hong Kong, having Keolis that delivers incredible things in, uh, in Bordeaux, in Lyon, in, uh, in, uh, in Rennes, that enables Melbourne and Victorian State to have the best of these international innovations right. and, and, and ideas from, uh, from everywhere. One of the innovations that Keolis has brought to the marketplace is what you were just showing me before we walked in here, and that's your, your room there. Tell us about the room that you have and all of your contracts. Yes, that's the Viz room. We call it the Viz room. That's right. a fantastic- like a visualization room, right? Visualization room, right. that's exactly the point. It is fantastic to actually align the team on where we are at, what did well last week, last month, last year, because we have these different horizons. 
what are the alerts because sometimes not everything goes well so we need to be uh, to be uh, aware of the alerts and what are the priorities for the period ahead that's great because we are all aligned and at any time you have your team and beyond my team it's actually the business we visited it together it's an open room right anybody can actually enter the room to understand the business and to understand how we we are going and that's a fantastic tool that's a fantastic tool not only to share information but also to uh, to track actions uh, kpis performance against against our plan but yeah. also against the contract right we have a You know, quite right. a, a big contract with the state. It's important to uh, to make sure at any time that we are okay to deliver short things numbers and not more than the 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 five percent mark that we uh, negotiated with the state. You will find all that in the vis room. And you told me that when you do your meetings with the customer, and who is your customer? PTV, right? Our franchise manager, right? Of course. You meet right in that room, of and course. you're open with of your course. key performance indicators and how you've been doing. I mean, I think that's phenomenal. I really oh, do, course. Nicholas. But, yeah. but you know, Paul, in our industry, we all know that public transport can't be self-sufficient from a financial perspective. Right. So right. we need, and we work with our PTS to, and of course, there is a, a service to deliver. It's our accountability, and there is a subsidy that is a, that is actually paid by the by the PTA because we use and we spend public, public transport right, exactly, yeah. and the taxpayers' money. Yes. We have an obligation of transparency, right? And this room is, is really this image of a fully transparent organization that can, of course, bring anybody from the client side yeah. in the room at any time. We have nothing to hide, and we want our uh, PTA to understand what we do and how we spend yeah. uh, the taxpayers' money. And it keeps your managers focused on their numbers. It keeps everyone focused on. What the goal is, which is to provide safe, efficient, reliable transit with world-class customer service, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly. It. That's good. So, tell us a little bit more about your service itself. How many vehicles? How many employees? Those kind of things. So, I said 250 kilometers of tracks. We have 1,700 stops. That's massive. 1,700 stops. Okay. 1,700, yeah. which makes probably this network quite specific. It's a stop every second and 200. Two hundred meters, okay. which is quite close. You know, yes. uh, when you look at other networks, go to Europe. All networks that will be more in the order of four hundred meters between two stops. Brand new tram, light rail uh, networks like Gold Coast, for example, in Australia, oh, yeah, that will yeah. be even eight hundred. Really, so we have a lot of stops. Yeah, ah. we have a lot of stops. We have twenty-three hundred people okay. uh, working uh, in uh, and for uh, Yara Trams. We operate the network at night, two days a week. Friday, Saturday, we keep open overnight six routes. That's a fantastic decision by the by the government uh, back in 2016 to say, okay, we want Melbourne being, you know, uh, yeah, 24 uh, hours exactly, right? 24 yeah. hour city, and for to do so, we need public transport, which made them decide that we needed six uh, lines operated at night in uh, in uh, for trams, a few lines for trains, a few lines for bus, and that uh, enables to have a, a 24 hour city in Melbourne. So. We operate that uh, 24 hours a day uh, on Friday and Saturday. Probably the big thing in Melbourne, because that's very very specific to us, is the size of the fleet: 480 trams. That's a big number. 480 light rail vehicles for those in North America, in Rio Linda, as they say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's call them this way. Yeah. 
And what makes it really specific is actually the fact that it's a diverse fleet. Yeah, you know, so you've got some older cars that are like exactly. that have been refurbished. Exactly. They're really cool looking. Exactly. You got the brand new ones that look like they're from outer space. So <laughs> some of them come straight from Dentenong where they are manufactured and they are one week old. Some others have been manufactured, by the way, for some of them in Dandenong already, but that was 60 years ago. Yeah. And you know, this makes it incredibly complex and challenging. Let's, uh, let's sure, use for maintenance this word. and everything. Yeah. yeah. We need people who know the latest technology to maintain our brand new trams, but we also know, uh, need people who, who have much more of uh, the old way of, uh, of maintaining old sure. trams, 60 years old. The supply chain, of course, you know, yeah. you look at the who will supply me with the, 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 this, uh, this part, you know, maybe the, the OEM actually uh, closed its doors uh, 40 right. years ago. So you that go on eBay or make course, the parts uh, yourself. And we make them yeah. ourselves. Of course, we, we, have no, we, we have no choice to bring inside some capabilities that normally would be, uh, would be uh, done outside of the, right. of the operator. And how is that attracting such a diverse workforce and keeping them? Tell me about that. What makes a fantastic difference for Yara Trams, its brand and its incredibly value in every Melbourneian's heart. And I realize that every time I'm meeting new people, you know, be they in a professional environment or friends or what, I'm the CEO of Yara Trams, and then everybody has a fantastic smile that's telling right. me, my God, that's fantastic. Yes. Tell me more, explain yeah. to me. I'm born and raised in Melbourne, and then a Trams, are on, on, uh, can you believe that? On Sunday, I was discussing with someone I had a, a drink with, and this guy told me, he was in his 35-year-old, and then said to me, yes, I'm born and raised, and you know, I have a tattoo of a W class. You want me to show? I said, no, 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 don't show it to me. So it's part of their lives. It's definitely part. So that helps a lot to to bring the best people to work for us. The point is that we, we, you know, the the tenure, the average tenure in this company is quite high compared to uh, other businesses because people are really, you know, uh, liking this yes. uh, idea of working for this fantastic service to yes. the community. It's a job that has meaning. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what's the role? Tell me about the role of technology because you've got older vehicles all to these brand new vehicles. You're covering such a large area. What's the role of technology in making all this kind of pull? Plus you have to interact with all the other of systems. Of course. Of course. Tell me about of that. Of course. Yeah. I think technology, you know, that that's definitely something that we want to uh, to to bring more and more. Uh, that's uh, probably of course looking at uh, someone was explaining to me how the, 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 the latest technology will actually come onto uh, the, 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 the new Qatar light rail system. Wow, of course, you can't say anything, but wow, that's, yes, that's incredible. Yeah. And I won't tell you that we have the same level of technology in, in Melbourne, but there are a few things coming uh, together. We decided to, um, uh, and the state has, uh, has funded a trial, fantastic trial to bring uh, traffic light priority on our trams. That yes. was three weeks ago. We launched uh, this trial in the city. How's it working? So partnership with Vicroads, the owner of the, of the network. Okay. Important thing, I didn't say that. And of course, you saw that yesterday, Paul. The very specific and particular thing of this network is that it is mainly shared with the roads. Yes. 75% of the network is actually shared right with... in the road. Exactly. With other vehicles, be they cars uh, or trucks or whatever. So that makes that 
we have to address this performance you know, issue because when you have every, uh, every year 100,000 more cars on the roads, that can impact you. Yes. And the risk is that, of course, we have a performance that could be actually degraded year after year. So that's fantastic to have this uh, new uh, traffic light priority yeah. technology coming into Melbourne because the idea is to have with Vic Roads, the owner and the manager of the, of the roads, with the government, with, uh, with uh, La Trobe University, with PTV, of course, this trial that will help us to, uh, to actually coordinate tram approaching the traffic lights, yes. giving them the, the, the green light or the white tea, as we, as we call it here, to make sure that these uh, trams will have the priority over cars in which generally you have on average 1.2 people, mm -hmm. uh, whereas of course our trams move uh, 200 uh, plus uh, people. That is a big change in terms of the, of the technology and that's, uh, that's coming now. We are uh, launching the trial for a few months and we'll see how we can uh, roll uh, that out on the, on the network. But there are other innovations, some yes. other innovations in uh, ticketing, for example, that's led by PTV, but that's very interesting. Having my key card, as we call it, that's the ticketing system on your phone, right. that's coming. I downloaded it yesterday. Yeah. Fantastic. Did yes. it work? Uh, I didn't try it yet. You I didn't try it. it. I'm yes. sure you yeah. will see that it works. That's great because that's, uh, of course... Well, let's say where the vehicle is on there. Is it shown? Yeah. Oh, yes. You have okay. this one. That's, uh, this one is, um, is called the tram tracker. Sorry. Yes, right. Tram tracker. Tram tracker is uh, to tell you where your tram is That's at good. any time. And you can even, for the Gunzels, you can even, you know, put the number of the tram yes. on the, into, the, into the app and that will tell you uh, everything about the tram, when it will uh, go oh, yeah. past this point, etc. That's very interesting. What government is also trying at the moment is putting the Mikey card, which is the ticket oh, yes. on, on the phone, yes. which didn't exist. Until now, we, uh, we had only uh, physical cards, plastic cards, and that's definitely an improvement in the future to, uh, to enable uh, people who uh, don't want to buy a plastic card to have them on, on their phone. When so they scan it when they come in? Is that how it works? Exactly. Okay, exactly. Yeah. They put it in front of the yeah. reader, and that works as if it was a, a physical card. Now, is your card... I was in at TFL in London a couple years ago, and Shashi Verma, who is the CTO there, showed me at the time, he had gone to this contactless card. Do you all have that here? In the future. Okay. Not yet. Yes. But I'm pretty sure that will come. Yeah. Well, to be honest with you, you can almost skip that technology because you're going to the phone. Oh, yeah. It's like some countries have skipped over not having their telephone wires in ground because they didn't need them. They would just go to cellular service. Of course. So of course. That's I think, the beauty I think of the technology. Is that, yeah, is what's happening here. Speaking of that, what do you see coming next for Yara Trams? What's the next cool big thing you got going on? So I would say I, I like to present a few changes that I'm pretty sure will come in the in the future. Okay. And of course, as you can imagine, most of them are in terms of the vision and the leadership led by the, the government because it's a strategic things happening. One is definitely in a city that is developing so fast, we need more capacity. Okay. So there is a question. We move already 207 million people a year. In the future, look at what it will be in 20 years, yes, time, 30, 50, quite a bit. we will need, uh, of course, more capacities. So more capacities, that's all about having bigger trams or big trams. You know, when you, you look at the fleet we have at the moment, the, the biggest trams, the new ones, are 33 meters long and can accommodate uh, 200 plus people. The smaller ones, what we call the, the, the Z-class, are 20 meters and 80 passengers. That's the older ones, right? Exactly. Yes. They are the older ones. Yeah. And, uh, of course, bringing the new ones to replace 
the old ones oh, will help. bring capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Then there is a question for the next generation of tram of trams that the government is uh, is uh, looking at. How should it look like? Uh, will it be the same size as the biggest ones, the 33 meters? Should they be uh, bigger? or smaller but flexible to be able to put together two modules to, uh, to run uh, bigger, bigger services. So capacity is probably one of the biggest challenges that we collectively in the city have to address in the future. Also because it goes not only with trams, but also with the related infrastructure. You can't have big trams in the future if you don't have the uh, necessary substations, you need power, you need depot to actually stable the trams. So you need this, which of course in a urban environment is more complicated to, uh, to actually uh, you know, build than in a, you know, either a greenfield right. environment or even in a heavy rail environment. Heavy rail can actually build the depot 50 kilometers from the CBD. Yeah, my trams, we can't do that. Our business is in, uh, not that far from the CBD. So the capacity thing, which is probably one of the big things that we, we are going to work in the next few years, trams, substations, depot, to make sure that we can run a bigger offer for the Melbourne years. Another challenge that we, we are working on is uh, actually what I said before, performance, making sure that our service, because we have more and more people, because there are more and more cars in the city, making sure that the service, in terms, for example, of the speed of the, of yes. the service, yes. doesn't degrade progressively. Right. So what are the solutions for that? We talked about traffic light priority. Of go. course, that is a solution. Separation, a better road space allocation has to be implemented in the city. We need to, as much as possible, dedicate lines to trams and other lines to uh, other vehicles. Right, yeah. Of course, that goes with work on parking in some on street parking. Of course, you yes. can have to remove the on-street parking and put it off-street if you yes. want to dedicate one line to one or the other right. line to the other. You have also to look at the, at the, the way we, we manage the traffic. Is it reasonable to, uh, to have a right turn every 50 meters? I'm pretty sure that we have, if we optimize this and have a right turn every you know, second or third previous right turns, you can bring uh, efficiency and, and, a, and a quicker operation in Melbourne. I don't know if you had a, a chance to look at what we call here the hook turns. Have you seen that? The hook turns, they actually are a fantastic way of telling you you have to go when you drive your car on the left side yes. to actually turn right, yes. which is a little bit counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. That works pretty well. Okay. That works well, you just have to be used to that. So when you drive for the first time, be careful. Yeah, well, but definitely that's, that's something that we can look at to have more. At the moment, they are mainly in the CBD. We can have them uh, outside of the CBD. That will bring performance in the tram operations. I could also mention, you know, having a very modern, which is not the case at the moment, very modern AVM automatic yes. uh, vehicle monitoring system that for Yaratram still dates back to, uh, to uh, the 80s. Wow. So that looks like, uh, you know, Commodore City for right, right. Uh, back well, in time. You're not alone. A lot of transit systems are operating I think on so. technology from the 80s. Yeah. And yeah. that's a shame. Yeah. That's a shame because definitely you can bring performance. And let's be clear, performance equates 
capacity. Absolutely. If you run your tram operations quicker, that will release additional capacity and that closes the loop with the, my first uh, challenge. Yes. The third challenge to me is accessibility. We are not good enough. I like to say it quite yeah, uh, bluntly. We are not good enough. We are lagging behind the best standards uh, overseas. Look at what exists in, uh, in Europe. Look at what exists in some places in USA. Accessibility is yes. much better developed. With disabilities? Of course, yes, of yeah. course. And you know, we realize because population is aging, we realize that it's not only for people in a wheelchair. Right. That can be people visually impaired. That can oh, yeah. be simply old people, you know, elderly. Elderly who actually, yes, of yeah. course, will uh, will struggle to jump in a tram that yeah. is a high floor tram. I'm with a to feel that way myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I know what you mean. Yeah. So accessibility, we need to do things, and that goes with low floor trams. Right. That goes with raised platforms. You yes. Know? Yes. Of yes. Course, yes. That will, so it's flat on. Yeah. Of course, and yeah. you can go from uh, from the platform into the 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 tram uh, like this very very easily. That can also be, you know, there are interesting I was in Brussels in, uh, in November last year. In Brussels, 150 year old, their tram network, wow. very old. What they decided to go and to, uh, to do and to work on, and, and now the, the service is in place, it's actually a non-demand service. That will take people with uh, disabilities from one door to another point, door to door, which means that it gives them some time to build the the actual full accessibility, because of course it's big money. You know, yes. we're talking probably about billion, couple of billion of dollars, so that's big money, and you can't do that overnight. Right. But at least you know, waiting until we have done this plan, is it 10, 20 uh, years? I don't know. Definitely, that uh, has to be looked at. But waiting until we've done that, at least we have an offer for people with uh, disabilities that can be a non-demand uh, solution. So accessibility is definitely, I talked about, uh, you know, capacity, uh, performance, accessibility. And there are, of course, a lot of new projects coming. Government has a lot of ideas to, uh, to extend the network, uh, to, uh, to have new lines uh, between Cofield and Roville, for example, okay. that could add uh, to this already big uh, network, to add a few uh, uh, new services yes. to, uh, to actually... Uh, get along with the, the, the natural expansion of the, of the city. Very good. Well, you've got, for the largest operation in the world for tram service, your system is well woven into the fabric of the community. Oh, yeah. And you've got a great vision for improving your capacity, your performance, and your accessibility. It's just been wonderful sharing this time with you today. And I know our listeners across the world have learned something about how to how to operate maximum capacity when you've got these big operations that are really moving the whole city every day. That's the point. That's definitely it. We are part of the social fabric of this yes. city. We bring incredible value and uh, Yara Trams, I'm talking about Yara Trams and yes. here is Donner trying to, uh, to, do, to do its best. We are really an essential part of this, uh, of this fantastic city of Melbourne. And, uh, and yes, we like to say that, you know, this big stadium, as we call it, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, is iconic. Yawatrans definitely is iconic as well. And uh, that's, uh, that's a pride to be, to be leading yes. this, uh, 
these operations for for me as a as a leader, but of course for Keolis as well. And yes. uh, back in Paris, the board uh, room is actually the Melbourne room. Is that, uh, right? that says a lot. That? Exactly. Wow, that's that great. Says a lot yeah. about the yes, the pride of Keolis to operate the network. Well, I would say based on what I've heard today and what I've seen, the city of Melbourne is blessed to have you as the CEO of their Yara Trom service. And I look forward to hearing even more great things coming out of here. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. Thank you, Paul. Thank you so much. That was a great opportunity. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.